Let's turn now to John chapter 7 and consider for a few minutes further on this subject of the day of Pentecost. A great historical event took place around June 1st of the year of our Lord, 30 A.D. After the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, He was buried and stayed in the tomb for three days and three nights, as long as He had promised He'd stay there. And then He tore the bars away and came out of that place. He was seen by His apostles. He ate and drank with them. And they had many infallible proofs that He was indeed alive. And then He ascended into heaven 43 days after He was crucified. And for one week, the apostles met in the upper room in Jerusalem because He had promised, abide here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And they received the power of the Holy Ghost. John chapter 7. Look at verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, As the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the order, brethren. Jesus had to go to heaven 43 days after he died. And when he went to heaven... There was quite a reception. The reception is described in Revelation chapter 5. When John saw that there was no man that could take the book from him that sat on the throne and open that book. And in that book were all the blessings for all of God's children forever. All the spiritual blessings that are in heavenly places were recorded in that book. That was the last will and covenant of the Lord God. But then Jesus Christ arrives in the scene on the scene in Revelation 5, and takes that book and begins tearing the seals off it, which were the judgments of the nations. But inside that book are our names and all the benefits that we get. And He was crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. He was made. He was promoted. He was advanced over all the angels, elect and holy angels, and the devil and his angels. He was put far above all principalities and powers, might and dominion, and thrones and names that are named in this world and in the world to come. And then he was told he could sit down on the throne of David. And the Lord Jesus Christ sat down on the throne of David, a victorious, conquering prince, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Mediator, the Apostle, the High Priest of our profession, the All-in-All, the Alpha, the Omega, He had the keys of David. He opened and no man could shut. He shut and no man could open. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God divided the spoils with Him of His great accomplishment on the cross. And this is part of the spoils, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You had read to you John 14, verses 15 through 23, where Jesus said, If I go away, I will not leave you. I will come to you. And how does the Lord Jesus Christ come to us? By His Spirit. 
And so when we look at this verse, and I'm so thankful when the Lord uses parentheses. Because if I would have read about living water flowing out of your belly, and according to the way I was trained in the ministry, I should take the primary definition of words, I would have a fire hydrant growing where your belly button is. And I would not know what to do with that, but thankfully I've got something in parentheses. And in parentheses it tells me that he was speaking of the Holy Spirit, and it tells me that they that believe on him should get that spirit. The Holy Ghost was not yet given in this way, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So everything I just told you had to happen first. When Jesus Christ sat on the throne of David at the right hand of God, and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, then He sent that Spirit down, down, and one week after He rose up into heaven, it arrived in Jerusalem at 9 o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost. Praise the Lord with me. This isn't taught in your normal history class, but it's in the Word of God, and we rejoice in it. Let's turn now to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. John 7 told us several things. Jesus had to be glorified first. So it had to be at least 43 days after he was, after he died. We're told that only believers get the Holy Ghost. And we're told the Holy Ghost wasn't yet given in that fashion. We know the Holy Spirit was on earth because didn't it move Samson from time to time? Didn't we read that two weeks ago? Would it come upon David at times to inspire him to write Psalms? The Spirit of the Lord spake by me. His word was in my tongue. But he wasn't an abiding presence of God with his people yet. That was reserved for you. you, It's a glorious, fantastic blessing. You say, I don't feel, I don't know that I have that blessing. Then humble yourself because you've quenched the Spirit of God and you've grieved him. And it's a terrible thing to grieve the Spirit of God. Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to repeat what I did last Lord's Day. You're supposed to be able to remember it. On the day of Pentecost, there were 120 in an upper room. A rushing mighty wind filled the place. Tongues of fire appeared on their heads, and they began speaking in other languages. This was noised abroad. The whole city heard the rumor. They came together, and there was Peter, timid Peter, that 50 days earlier couldn't even deny a maid in a fire. He stands up, and he unloads on those Jews. He accuses them of killing the Lord's Christ. He explains what you're seeing is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. Don't ever let anybody take Joel 2 and stick it out in the future. Don't ever let anyone take Joel 2 and say it's today. Joel 2 was fulfilled 1936 years ago, come June 1st. Something like that. Check my math later. I'd say that's 1976. My math is really bad. History. This is God's history. You know what I love about the word history? What do I love about the word history? It's His story. It's God's story of His dealings in the world. And this is what He sent down around the 1st of June in 30 AD. The Holy Spirit. So we come, He first of all quotes Joel, and Peter says, This strange phenomenon that you're witnessing, you 15 Jews from all different nations, Now, does that sound like a fulfillment of Zephaniah chapter 3 to you? I will gather you from every place that I scattered you. I will give you a pure language. You will no longer commit iniquity in my sight. It sure didn't happen under Cyrus. 
coming from one place isn't coming from 15 places. There were, in Jerusalem, devout Jews out of every nation on earth. Now, that's a pretty wide scattering, and that's a pretty wide regathering. And there they were on the day of Pentecost. He explains it from Joel. This is a prophecy that was long, that was being fulfilled right now. Then he explained that David had prophesied that his son, the Lord's Lord, the Messiah, the Christ, would die, and you by your wicked hands have crucified him according to his determinate counsel. He doesn't fail to stick that in there. But he was buried and he rose from the dead because David said, I always set you before my face. Jesus Christ in prophecy had spoken in Psalm 16 and said, God did not desert me. I had hope while I was laying there in my body in the grave. When Jesus died, his body went in the tomb and it laid right there like any dead body would lay right there. His spirit went to heaven. How do we know his spirit went to heaven that day? Two things that he said on the cross. Will you help me since I've forgotten them? This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's one of them. The other one. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Not, Father, go with me while I go to hell for three days. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Now you laugh at me, but you would not believe how many people think that Jesus went to hell for three days while his body was in the tomb because of the Apostles' Creed, which none of the Apostles ever saw. If the apostles had ever seen that thing, they would have called it heresy, and they would have excluded anybody that was believing it from their churches. That's the Catholics came up with that. Forget that stupid thing. Trust the Bible. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. His body wasn't there, but his spirit was. Acts chapter 2. Peter gets toward the end of his sermon. He says in verse 33, Therefore, because of what I've said thus far, Being by the right hand of God exalted, that's the Lord Jesus sitting at God's right hand, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, remember he promised it in John 14, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. This Jesus of Nazareth that you crucified is now seated at God's right hand. God the Father has given him a gift in fulfillment of his promise because of his great success and victory and obedience at the cross of Calvary, and Jesus Christ has now given that gift to his church. This is what has happened. For David is not ascended into the heavens. It couldn't be David. It's got to be Jesus Christ, the son of David. But he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord. David is speaking of someone far greater than he was. He's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God that made, that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. You can know one thing for sure, you big crowd of Jews here in Jerusalem. God has made Jesus of Nazareth that you crucified your Lord. So much your Lord that David called him Lord. And he is the Christ. He is the Messiah that was to come to deliver this nation. And you crucified him. And he is now seated at God's right hand until God makes all his enemies his footstool. Now who do you think his enemies are but primarily those that had just crucified him? Now that is a very sober message. 
And it wasn't very politically correct. Dale Carnegie would not, got a, would not have been excited about the way that Peter approached this audience. Telling them that they were the murderers of the Lord Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ was just sitting on a throne until they would be his footstool. Well, we know what happens. Look what it says in that 37th verse. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Why do you, if you do, and I trust you do, why do you enjoy hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why does it move you? Why does it convict you? Why does it cause you to reflect on your life and realize that you need to humble yourself before the God of heaven? It only does that when God has prepared your heart by regeneration and opening it up and making it soft and receptive and drawing you by His almighty power to respond to the gospel that way. You have brothers, cousins, relatives, neighbors, schoolmates, colleagues at work that don't give a rip about what the Word of God has to say. What makes the difference? It is the grace of God. These men were pricked. Their conscience convicted them. Look at what they say. They say, men and brethren, what shall we do? Holding your finger there, look over at Acts chapter 7. I referred to this last Sunday, but I want you to see it in print. What happened when Stephen preached a very similar message in Acts chapter 7? Acts chapter 7. Now look at verse 30, verse 52 and see how similar it is to, to Peter's sermon. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the murderers and the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Notice Stephen says something very similar, that these Jews had betrayed and murdered the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at their response in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And verse 57 says, they stopped up their ears, and crying with a loud voice, they ran upon Stephen and stoned him to death. What in the world makes the difference from the same nationality? The Jews in Jerusalem. What makes such a difference, brethren? Praise the grace of the glorious God. The superabundant grace that regenerates our hearts and gives us a new man with a new heart that loves the things of God so that when we hear it, we say, that is the truth. I need to obey that. I need to humble myself before that just one. These people wanted to kill the messenger. Now that is not a fine line, is it? That is a drastic difference. This is the day of Pentecost. Back to Acts chapter 2. Men and brethren, what shall we do? What can we do now that we have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ? Repent and be baptized, every one of you in His name. For the remission of sins. That is not in order to get the remission of sins, but in testimony and claim that that is the only way for the remission of sins by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a church of Christ doesn't believe that. The church of Christ says, give me an axe and two thirty-eights, and I'll whip any Baptist preacher in the world. That's what they teach their little children in Sunday school. Because all the church of Christ is are a bunch of leeches that came along and stole members from Baptist churches in the middle of the 1800s by preaching baptism was necessary for salvation. 
But see, we know that doctrine's not new. Rome came up with that doctrine about 1,500 years before the Church of Christ. Teaching baptismal regeneration. We reject all that because of 1 Peter 3.21 that says baptism is the answer of a good conscience. And it doesn't put away the filth of the flesh. So when we read this, we understand exactly what it's saying. You be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, confessing that your only hope for the forgiveness and remission of sins is through His work on the cross of Calvary. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now we know that gift was spoken about in John chapter 7. And now it's saying you can get him by repenting and being baptized. Isn't that what Jesus said? That he should be given to those that should believe on him. And here it's those that believe on him, repent, and are baptized. Let me chase you to a few verses to show you that the Holy Spirit of God is given to you as a gift for believing on the Son, Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 5. Chase with me, please, for a few references. Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. Acts 5, 32. And we are His witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. Those that humble themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ get the gift of the Holy Spirit. God the Father magnifies His Son when you obey Him, believe on Him, and are baptized in His name by giving you His abiding presence. Now you get Him when you're born again. You have a new man inside of you that is created in righteousness and true holiness. If you are a born-again child of God, there is part of you that never sins. There is part of you that gets upset every time you do sin. There is a part of you that convicts you and accuses you when you sin and excuses you when you do righteousness. But you do not have the abiding presence of God until you obey. Then you have the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit that causes you to cry, Abba, Father, because you know God is your Father and you are His Son by the fulfilling presence of of God Himself. My Father and I will come and abide with you forever. Did we read that in John 14? That's this gift. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Brethren, do you know what this is called? It's, it uses a real estate term. When you're going to buy a piece of real estate, you put some money down, and that money is called earnest, earnest money. Earnest means that you are in earnest. Oh, brethren, you put down earnest money to show that you are in earnest and that you're going to perform the rest of your promise. The rest of your promise is to pay the full purchase price. The God of heaven has given you an earnest because he is going to keep the rest of his promises and see you safe into heaven. Amen. 2 Corinthians 1.22. You say, show me the verse. But here it is. 2 Corinthians 1.22. Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. That joy of the Holy Ghost, which you can have when you're reading the Bible, and you you delight in the presence of God. You know He is there with you. You know He is speaking to you from those words. You trust Him. You love Him. You want to obey Him. You hate yourself for sinning. All those are evidences of the Holy Spirit of God as a seal upon you as an and as an earnest of better things to come. Now, if you don't have those things, don't blame God, don't blame me, because I've told you how to have those things. Every bit of te- time you waste watching television or ruining yourself with other pagan influences that grieve and quench the Spirit of God, you shut down your own spiritual life. Right. Every bit of sin that you leave unconfessed in your life, you shut down that spirit. 
He's just a flicker. When he can burst into great strength, that you would know God is with you. By obeying, by believing, by repenting, and by being baptized in his name. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Do you like the way it's connecting the words together? That Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. Do you know what the purchased possession is? You. Your body. You have been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ and God is going to come and redeem that purchased possession. We're going to put this thing in a box, aren't we, brother? And put it under. It is not lost. It is not lost at all. God is going to come and redeem that purchased possession and what we have as an earnest that He's going to keep those promises is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When did they get the Holy Spirit according to this passage? Does it agree with the other passages? After that ye believed. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Are you with me? We know there's an operation of the Holy Spirit of God before you believe. That's regeneration to give you that new heart. But that personal presence of God with you, where you can walk together like Enoch walked with God by His Spirit, where Jesus Christ is with you because it's the Spirit of God's dear Son. That comes after we believe. But look at chapter 4 of the same book. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 30. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. See, there's that seal. God has put His seal upon us. You are mine. And we know we're His when we're in that Spirit. When we get out of that Spirit and we're out of fellowship with God, we wonder, boy, if... If the Lord, if the Lord were to give me the big one right now, I don't know where I'd go. You know, maybe you don't talk to yourself that way. But you know what's happened? You're out of fellowship with God. When you're in fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit gives you total confidence. Give me the big one right now. Sounds good. Because you're walking in the Spirit of God. But notice what can happen. You can grieve Him. Do you know what happens when I grieve you? I hurt your feelings. You can offend the God that is dwelling with you in His Spirit. And we offend Him by playing with the world. We offend Him by not being excited about hearing the voice of God's servant in the pulpit. We offend Him by not singing with all of our might during congregational singing because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. We offend Him by being enamored with the things of this life. We offend Him by watching, reading, thinking about, or associating with others that drag us away from Him and toward the world. It was mentioned to us by your young brother in here this day already. And we grieve him. And he's grieved. And so he doesn't assist us. He leaves us alone. Well, if they want the world, then I'll let them have it for a while. And we're terrible. We're miserable. We're upset. We're frustrated. We know that we're not living the way we should be. Nothing is right. Been there? Done that before? (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad there's one or two brothers in here that are like me. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Is there power in the Spirit of God? What were they like on on the head? Tongues of fire. So there's heat. 
There's power. Did the Holy Spirit of God move upon the face of the waters in Genesis chapter 1? Did some things happen? Were they pretty big things? Could he move Samson at times? Could he move David at times? Could he even get a King Saul to accept a crown? The Spirit of God can do great things, but here's what happens. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Here's the Apostle Paul in the conclusion of one of his letters when he's listing a whole lot of duties as if he's running out of paper, but he wants to get a whole lot of things down. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 Quench not the Spirit. The Spirit's a fire. You have a fire and you pour water on it. And then you want to go out and live victoriously. You want God's presence with you. You want to rejoice that He is He is close to you. You know that you're His. You know that heaven is yours. You want Him to bless you and cause you to bear fruit and overcome the weaknesses and temptations in your life. But you've quenched Him. Just remember that every time you hit on, on a remote control. Remember that every time you turn the knob on in your radio in your vehicle and start listening to the devil's music. And the devil's music is any music that is not glorifying and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would you want to listen to anything else? If you had the presence of the Holy Spirit in you, you wouldn't want to listen to anything else. The Holy Spirit's whole ambition is to testify and witness of Jesus Christ. So we quench Him. But listen, I want to tell you that it gets a little worse than this. You can offend Him and you can quench Him so that there is no power in your life. You come to church and you say, what are these people doing? I think I'll just, I'll just nod off for a while. Yeah, I got the important things are going on the rest of this week. You ain't got nothing going on the rest of this week. I can promise you that. Nothing that you're going to do the rest of this week is ever going to be remembered world without end. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Nothing that you do counts or matters anything at all compared to worshiping the God of heaven. But But it doesn't matter when you're not walking with the Spirit of God. It is a total different approach to life, and it's based on obedience, and God gives us this wonderful blessing of the presence of His Spirit. Isaiah 63 and verse 10, and you can get scared while you're turning because it is one terrible passage. Isaiah 63 and verse 10. Verses 7, 8, and 9 of this passage are some of the most wonderful verses in the Bible. It's what I preached to you on Wednesday night. In their affliction, He was afflicted. God is afflicted by our afflictions. Those are wonderful verses. It's verses 7, 8, and 9, but look at verse 10. Even though He treated them that way, was so kind and compassionate toward them, they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy, and He fought against them. Lord, have mercy on us. Do you know how powerful the Holy Spirit of God is? Forget 12 legions of angels. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. If we quench and grieve Him long enough, He will turn to be our enemy. When we vex Him, when we continue to go after sin and continue after it and don't show a resolve that we're going to repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and live a holy life for Him, He can turn to be our enemy. He'll take the candlestick out of a church and leave us nothing but a carcass that's going through the motions. And do you know what? He won't even let you know when it happens. You'll just be going through the motions pretending that you're a child of God and worshiping with the people of God. Lord, have mercy upon us. Heavenly Father, take not Thy Holy Spirit from us and renew a right spirit within us. And forgive us where we have grieved, quenched, or vexed Thy Holy Spirit. 
Do you know how easy it is to walk in the Spirit of God? Hate the flesh and crush it. Do you know what was read to us by a young brother in Galatians chapter 5? They that are Christ have mortified the flesh and its lust. They've put to death the things that do not agree with the Spirit of God. The things that agree with the flesh. And you heard, you heard the list, didn't you? About 20 points long. Put those things to death in your life. Get away from them. Don't watch them. Don't joke about them. Don't hang around with those that do them. Set your sights on the Lord and keep your life holy. That's how you walk in the Spirit. You get rid of all that. You put the flesh to death and you walk after the Spirit. You obey. You believe. You get baptized. You don't quench, grieve, or vex the Holy Spirit. You get those things out of your life and you seek those things that are in the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You seek those and you ask God to give you the strength for them and you'll bear that fruit. It says in verse 25, it says if we live in the Spirit... That's born-again Christians. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's not just be first-phase children of God, second-phase children of God, third-phase children of God, and fifth-phase children of God without having that fourth phase of being a child of God by walking with God through His Spirit. What a shame. If we live in the Spirit, that's that's the vital phase of regeneration. Let us also live in the Spirit. Do you know what Ephesians chapter 5 says? It says, be not drunk with wine. Do you know what, do you know what most people do when they come home and they've had, a, they've had a hard day? They've had a hard day. You know, it's a, it, many, everybody in America has a hard day every day. It's such a rough nation to live in. Everything is so hard. So they come home and they get drunk. If they don't get drunk, then they use some other chemical to get rid of their burdens. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that be filled is something you're supposed to do. Let God fill you. God is waiting for His Spirit to take over your life. He has given that Spirit to take over your life if you will submit to Him and obey and get rid of the world and beg Him for it. Pray for the the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill the Spirit. Because for the rest of this day, I want to delight in you. And I'm going to make some time and I'm going to get away. And I'm going to open these pages. Speak to me from your word. Those will be the most precious times you ever have in your life. That's the only faithful friends you're ever going to have. It sure ain't me. And it sure isn't the person you're married to. It's the Lord God. You say, I don't know what you're talking about. You ain't tried it. And it's your fault. For the promises unto you and to your children, election runs in families for the obedient. You say, do you mean when God wrote the names in the book of life, he might have been looking a little bit ahead and seeing those who did obey? Absolutely. Why not? Why not? Election runs in families, the promises unto you and to your children. And all that are far off, us poor Gentiles sitting here today, as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's Acts 2.39. Back to Acts chapter 2. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, dwells with those who believe, obey, are baptized, cut off the sin, kill the flesh, 
and walk in the Spirit, He will fill them with His presence. You can have the presence of God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can open this up with no one else around. This old, boring, dry book called the Bible. And it'll speak to you from its pages. Amen. What in the world were you getting excited about? Some little phrase like that in the last part of verse 3 of chapter 3 of the book of Psalms. Don't you need a praise band beating on their drums to get you excited? Don't you need an electric guitar driving some bass part of your body? All of this is a farce if we do not hear the voice of the preaching of this word and walk out of here and do some of this. Right. Hate the sin. When you turn that knob on and the devil has his music there to blow out of your mind what I'm giving you right now, you are grieving and quenching and vexing the Spirit of God. Your family's going to be cut off and your tree ain't going anywhere. It's so visible. Thank you, Dad, for hating all that stuff. I'm sorry that as a teenager I ever pushed you in some of those terrible, stupid, asinine things of this world. The most pleasure I've ever had in my life is alone with my God in the Bible. And I've tried much of what the world has to offer. Peter said in verse 40, or Luke tells us in verse 40, you know that Luke wrote this book, don't you? And with many other words did he testify and exhort. That's Peter closing up his sermon, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Peter wasn't saying to that 3,000 that were baptized that day, this is Acts 2.40. Peter wasn't saying, this is a dangerous generation, they could hurt you, so leave town. He was saying, this is a wicked generation, God is going to burn them up. You need to think about getting out of town when the time comes. This is the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, where Jesus said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, get out, for the desolation thereof is nigh. Save yourselves from this, you know what untoward is? obnoxious, perverse, forward, rebellious, wicked, profane generation because they had crucified the Lord of glory who had performed all those miracles for three and a half years. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. God is going to pound this untoward generation. Make sure you have fallen on the, at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, believed on Him, been baptized in His name, and are following His Word, and you get out of town when the time is right. Paul would tell us later in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, for the wrath is come upon these people to the uttermost. That's what that verse is teaching. Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized. You know when people are born again, do you know how they receive the Word of God? Do you know how long you have to chase them to get them to believe and get baptized? No time at all. Then they that received, gladly received His Word were baptized. When? A month later? A year later? When? That day. 
Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized in the same day. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They went from 120 in church to 3,120 in one day. By the power of the Holy Ghost, the preaching of God's Word, the unashamed, bold preaching of God's Word, and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they continued steadfastly. They just didn't believe and then drift away. We've seen them come and we're going to see more of them. They're going to come in here and say, oh, how I love Jesus. And then they'll disappear because they really love the world more. It's going to happen again. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They loved what the apostles preached. They loved being with the apostles in person. They loved taking communion with the apostles. And they loved praying with the apostles. They continued in spiritual religion. This is spiritual religion right here. Doctrine, fellowship. Look, uh, there's nothing here about skiing, ski trips. Nothing here about ski trips. Nothing here about a bowling team or basketball team or a softball team, either, either slow pitch or fast pitch. Right. Neither are mentioned in this verse at all. These people that were full of the Holy Ghost and had followed the Lord Jesus Christ continued with the apostles in their doctrine, in their fellowship, in the Lord's Supper, and in prayer. Those are spiritual activities. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. They were affecting the city of Jerusalem. Now, this fear that came upon the others didn't cause them to repent. It caused them to want to persecute them. But it was fear because they realized these people are different. They have a power that's among them that we don't have. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They were united. They immediately banded together. Did you see that there were a few nations involved? Of those 3,000, did they have a few little national differences? Were there some cultural differences? Were there some language differences? They were all together. They just blew away all those social, economic differences and jumped in together. They were of one mind and they had all things common. If a brother needed something, he got it. Now, there were a lot of brothers here that had needs. Needs because you've been foolish, needs because you've been wasteful are not needs. They're your fault, your problem. Live with them. These needs were because men had come to Pentecost from all those far points of the compass and they were there for a visit. They didn't know they were going to be staying. Do you understand me? These people had come for the Feast of Pentecost. All of a sudden, they've heard the truth. They don't want to go home. They left the little woman, you know, back in Rome. They left the little woman back in Asia. And now they're sending a letter saying, take whatever we've got left and come to Jerusalem. Something happened while I was here for Pentecost. Something happened. And so those men needed a lot of help. Can you imagine? What if you went to some place for a two-week vacation and all of a sudden you decide you're going to stay there? Would you have a few needs that your suitcase couldn't supply? Well, they, they took care of it. They were all together. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, does that include someone who won't work? No. Because we're told somewhere else in the Bible that somebody that doesn't work doesn't deserve to eat. We're told, in, we're told in the book of Proverbs that if you waste what you've been given, then you're just the same as those who won't work, so you shouldn't eat. This, this is a true need, a real need. And where there's true needs, real needs, they are to be met by the people of God because we are one. We are a family. We are brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And it's described in the last part of Acts chapter 4 where Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, is a great example of it. And they, continuing daily 
They just didn't get together once a week. They didn't get together once a month. Look at the desire they had to be with one another, with the Lord's people. They continuing daily with one accord. Notice their unity in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. This is not the Lord's Supper. This breaking of bread was not done in a public assembly, but was done from house to house. So this is eating. The hospitality. They wanted to eat with each other. They wanted to be with each other. And so they continuing daily with one accord in the temple as a church, and then breaking bread from house to house as couples and families, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. They were a thankful, joyful, glad people, and they had one heart, singleness, Jesus Christ and His cause, His kingdom. That's what unites us together. That is a Spirit-filled church. That is my dream. That is the Lord's desire for us. That's what He's called us for. Praising the Lord. Gladness. Singleness of heart. One thought reigned among all of them. Because the Holy Spirit was controlling. All of the members of your body are controlled by one Spirit. When you, If you were to walk or to run down this aisle like I did a few Wednesday nights ago, you, your Spirit tells all of the members of your body to engage in one common activity to get down this aisle in a coordinated, fast way. That's because one Spirit's controlling every part of your body. The Holy Spirit was controlling every one of the 3,120 members. One cause, the Lord Jesus Christ. One purpose, His kingdom and righteousness. One reason for joy and excitement, praise and thanksgiving in the Lord. One doctrine. One fellowship. What were they doing? Praising God. Look at the first two verses of verse 47. Praising God. And having favor with all the people. I'll tell you, when your ways please the Lord, He makes even your enemies to be at peace with you. That city had just crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were having favor among all the people because the Lord was blessing them abundantly. This church continued to grow. You read the next couple of chapters, it just multiplies several more times. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There is a salvation in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ because... We believe the gospel, we repent, we are baptized, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit personally. Then we come and we join with the church where they accept us and we accept them, and we become one body together, and the Holy Spirit, in a further relationship, motivates all the members to act like this. And to be left out there in an island by yourself, you can never be what you could be in a church because that's the way the Lord's ordained it. This is a work of hit. This is history of June, the, the year of our Lord, 30 A.D. This is precious. This is what you need individually, and this is what we want our church to be. Yes. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.